You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Sacred, the Wonder of God's World. In this series, we'll learn to see the goodness of God's world as men and women who have received the opportunity to become life-giving people, creatively fulfilling the mission given to us by God. Now as we we prepare to hear God's word this morning, let's pray for the scripture to open our hearts and minds. Pray these words aloud with me. Shine within our hearts, loving Lord, with your true light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind that we may comprehend the message of your word through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. The darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Thanks for being with us. Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ build them up as his church, and send them into the world. And I'm thankful you've come to be a part of that with us. Uh, A couple of quick things on the front end. If you're a member here, so members are the people that say, this is our family, we're committed here, we belong here. We have a member meeting coming up September 22nd. Um, Mark it on your calendars and come. We've got lots of updates and exciting news about the future. So September 22nd, that's next Wednesday, 6.30 to 8 p.m. And if you're interested in being a member, we've got a membership class coming up in October. You can fill out a Connect card in the seat back in front of you, and we'll give you more information about what that means and how you can be a part of it. Uh, Also, this is... uh, Real-time updates, breaking news. So Daniel and Kristen Wainwright, they are church planters in Lyon, France, that we send out, that we support. You hear about them often. Uh, I got a text message from Daniel this morning, 6 a.m. our time. That's kind of, you know, early afternoon for them, that they had a baptism service today. And we got a couple of pictures up from France. This is today. I think we got pictures. So that's the church in Quarus. I don't know how to say it. I do an open water baptisms and a couple of cool stories. So I think we've got pictures of the folks being baptized. Uh, so this guy in the, you can't really see what he looks like. He's got a black, black shirt on, he's under the water. Uh, so this guy came to the church for the first time a year ago. Uh, and this is during COVID. The lockdowns were a lot more severe in France than we experienced here. And Daniel was telling me this morning, this guy's name is Teofil. Uh, he walked around, they meet in, a, church, or in a, a hotel lobby. They rent out like a small conference space of a hotel there in Lyon, France. And this man was so nervous about coming to a church. He didn't have any church background, any Christian background. He paced the building for 15 minutes before coming in. And that was a year ago. And now his friends and family who aren't believers were there this morning, today, watching him get baptized. So thanks be to God that that's happening. And then this other guy... Um, had been a Christian for a little while, but was nervous about what would happen if he, if the world knew that he was a Christian. So for him, this was saying, like, I'm, I'm standing with Christ, and I want people to know that, that I'm a Christian. So thanks be to God for the life that we're seeing in his church around the world. And thank you guys. Uh, every week when you guys give, we're sending money literally once a month to that church plant in Lyon, France. So I know that can feel like just like a, a whatever. You know, you just write a check and forget about it. That's what I do. But there's, uh, there's real people experiencing real effects. And so uh, thanks be to God that we get to be a part of a global church-wide uh, movement. So thanks be to God. Uh, y'all ready to learn about some, something about God today? I'm so excited about this series we're doing in, in the book of Genesis. Um, we're going to be in Genesis for 11 weeks, uh, roughly two and a half chapters of it. So 
put your helmets on, we're going to go so fast. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, it's easy to find Genesis. It's in the very beginning of your Bible, if you have a Bible and you want to look around with it. Um, so my family, I've got a, a wife and three children. We like going for uh, exploratory walks through Bernheim Forest. Y'all have been to Bernheim Forest before? Uh, it's, just, it's just south of Louisville. If you've never been to Bernheim Forest, you are missing out. Uh, you're missing out on the woodland giants. You're, you're missing out on all kinds of wonders of, of creation. It's good exercise. You get outdoors. Um, it's nice. It's just, it's nice. And uh, we, we walk around and we say things. My family doesn't know much about plants, though we, we want to. Uh, we like, we're pretend outdoorsy, which means we buy outdoorsy clothes, but we don't camp or anything. We like to look. Um, and so, you know, we, we go for hikes on gravel roads. Um, and we say things like, you know, look, a tree, or look, that's a beautiful plant. We know, we know nothing about it. Uh, so shortly before the pandemic, we were at Bernheim walking, and one of us said, look at that tree. And we just said, wow, what a tree. Nice. Um, it, it, did look, it did look nice, but we just said, look, it's a tree. And uh, one of the, the park rangers there came up to us, and he was right on the edge of excited and kind of offended. And he said, that? That's not a tree. And then very profoundly, you know when people say something that you can tell they think what they're saying is really significant? He looked at us and kind of leaned in and he said, that is a Dawn Redwood. And we responded how most of you just responded, right? We were pretty, we were pretty silent. Looks like a tree to me. Uh, so then that, that somewhere between excited and offended tilted more towards offended. And because uh, he noticed our indifference and he said, well, let me tell you a story about this tree. During World War II, wealthy Chinese families, under the threat of Japanese invasion, retreated into mainland China to hide, basically to hide in the woods. Um, while out in hiding, fearing for their lives, uh, one wealthy Chinese aristocrat noticed what he thought was a very unusual tree. He drew a picture of it. He described the tree and its location in as much detail as he could in his journal. He didn't have any maps. They were running. They were fearing for their lives. And he, he tucked the journal away. After the war was over, at the conclusion of World War II, he sent his journal to several arborists around the world in the United States. And it, if such a thing can be said, it set the tree world on fire. It, it looked like a tree that was only known by its fossil records. This was a tree that they thought only existed in the time of the dinosaurs, a tree long extinct. And arborist after arborist looked at these drawings in the description and said, I think this is a dawn redwood. After the war, several arborists, again, these are tree people, they, they followed the journal and they discovered a miracle in the Chinese forests. They discovered a small grove of dawn redwood trees. They sent seeds from the trees um, to arboretums, I think that's how you say it, to curated forests around the world to see where these trees might be able to grow and flourish again. And one of those places was Bernheim Forest in Louisville, Kentucky. My family and I had walked by a miracle time after time, and we just didn't know it. We walked by a modern, a living fossil, a, a literal miracle, an absolute marvel, one of the rarest pieces of creation in the world, and we couldn't see it. We needed someone who knew what they were looking for, and we needed to slow down enough for long enough to listen. 
The book of Genesis is a modern marvel, but it has become for most of us obscured by familiarity and rush. Familiarity lets you take something for granted because you see it all the time. You'll see it again. It's there if you want it. Rush detaches you from the present. You know what I mean by that? There's the next thing to get to, and so we miss everything that's right in front of us. So we want to try to slow down these coming weeks and allow God to transform the way that we view Genesis. Because if we slow down and listen to him, it will quite literally change everything about the way we live. I mean that. That is not a bombastic preacher rhetorical turn of phrase. If we slow down and allow God to show us Genesis with new eyes, I'm convinced it will change literally everything about the way we live. We'll no longer look at it the way that I looked at that tree. Like, oh, it's just a book. Oh, it's just Genesis. We'll slow down and behold it and say, it's a dawn redwood. It's Genesis. So I'm going to give you a taste this morning of what, what we're going to try to do over the next several weeks. Two verses. Two verses. And we're going to begin by looking at just two words in Hebrew. They require three words in English, but it's just two words in Hebrew. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning. In the beginning. This phrase in the Hebrew, it lets us know what we're about to encounter. The listeners would have known what this is about to be about. Uh, it's like when we begin a story with once upon a time. Every one of us knows what kind of story is about to to come. It says, in the beginning, they would have known this was a creation story. Uh, there were many creation stories going on at the time Genesis was written, and even before that, when it was being shared orally. But this one was different for some big reasons. We'll see why. Uh, one big difference is the phrasing here. It means that when the universe came into existence, if we, you could translate this fairly by saying, when the universe came into existence, instead of in the beginning, when the universe came into existence. Uh, this lets us know, and this can be a little bit mind-bending here, there was a time before time. There, there was a period of time before time existed, before anything came into existence. There was a time of nothingness, which if you would like to feel some combination of awe and existential despair, Try to imagine nothingness. Just It's not even space because there's stuff in space. Nothingness is nothing. And sit with that for a while sometime. And then there was a time when God began to create. Those first two words in Hebrew, in the beginning, let us know there was a time when nothing existed. There was a time when everything came into existence. And then this gets to the second Hebrew word, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. There's Again, this is... Four words in English, two words in Hebrew. There's so much happening. In the time when the universe came into existence, God was already there. These two words tell us God is the God before time, beyond time, outside of time. When there was nothing, there was yet God. This is the doctrine, you may hear this referred to as God's eternality. He is self-generating. If you want to know some philosophical terms, God is the only non-contingent being, which means he needs nothing to exist. He has always existed. He is self-generating. He is perpetual. He is eternal. He was, he is, and he is to come. He is eternal. This also means God exists outside of space and time. 
He doesn't sit within the flow of events like you and I do. He is outside of time and eternal. He's not confined to a location like you and I are. He, here's another doctrinal word for you. This is the doctrine of God's omnipresence. Omnipresence means he is everywhere at all times. This, I'm sorry for all the Hebrew, but this just gets me excited, okay? I don't really know Hebrew. I know enough to read books that tell you how to read Hebrew, so I'm a, but we're going to go on this journey together. Uh, there's more. And again, we're in Genesis 1-1. We're in the first two words in Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew word here for God, we've got it on the screen, is Elohim. Or Yeah, so that apostrophe is, should be backwards for you Hebrew scholars out there, but I can't figure out how to type it in a computer because I have an English keyboard. Uh, Elohim, that H-I-M back there. If you see that in Hebrew, that means it's a plural. So Elohim, though, we, most of us have, y'all ever heard the word Elohim before? Some of us have heard that word before. Elohim is used all over the Bible, and it's not used exclusively about God. And some people read that and be like, oh my gosh, there's multiple gods in the Bible. It refers to false gods and idols in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, it refers to angels, kind of generally speaking, in places like Psalm 8. So Elohim does not necessarily mean God as we think of as God. Fundamentally, Elohim refers to a kind of being based on where they dwell. So kind of like how we would say a Hoosier. Well, what is a Hoosier? It's someone who lives in Indiana. Elohim is someone who lives not here, lives in the heavens or somewhere outside of what we understand to be this place and time. They are other. Uh, there's all kinds of Elohim talked about in the Bible. We've sung about some of them this morning. There's angels, there's seraphim, there's cherubim. You see that I am at the end, the Hebrew plurals. The, this is a kind of being, and it refers to where they dwell. But there are several clues here that this Elohim of Genesis 1.1 is not the Elohim that is referred to generally about all these other kinds of creatures in, in the scriptures. It's something else entirely. So... As we've already mentioned, that word, Elohim, it's a plural noun. Y'all know what plural is, right? Do I need to slow that down? We got plurals? More than one, right? Multiple. I mean, it's plural. But whenever a verb is conjugated with it, the verb is always conjugated singularly. Does that make sense? Plural noun with a single verb. That's a subject-verb disagreement for you English teachers out there. But whenever you see the God that we're thinking of when we think of God referenced as Elohim in the scriptures, a singular noun is conjugate, or singular verb is conjugated with it. So the noun looks like there are lots of them, but the verb says there are only one of them. And again, when referring to God, this is consistent throughout the whole Bible. But there's more. We get to the third word now in Hebrew. In the beginning, God created. This word created is different. There, there are lots of words that could be used. Uh, a different word is used talking about forming Adam and Eve or all these other things that happen in the rest of Genesis. Um, those words would mean to make something or form something or build something. But this word created here is only used in reference to the plural singular Elohim. You following me? Does it make a little bit of sense? When you have that plural noun Elohim with a singular verb conjugation, this word created only happens with God. It means to bring into existence. 
creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. God used nothing and he made everything. No other Elohim can create like this. This word is not used of anything else in the Bible other than the created God. So what is special about this God, this Elohim? He existed before time and he creates out of nothing. This is the doctrine of God's omnipotence. He is all-powerful. He's, if you haven't caught the, the trend of omnis that we're going through here, he is everything. He is all. He can do anything. All power belongs to him. Another way we could translate this word created is cause something to be. God makes it happen, and this ability belongs to God alone. Keep going. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth, is, it's a Hebrew idiom. It's a contextual expression that means everything. It's a phrase that uses opposites to communicate everything, like saying he created dark and light, night and day, heavens and earth, saying this creator God brought everything into existence out of nothing. Anything that is has been brought into existence by this God, including other Elohim. He is the God before time. He is the God beyond time. He is the creator of all that is. One verse in Genesis is communicating all of this. Here's, again, what we've learned in one verse of Genesis. God is eternal. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. God is creator who creates out of nothing. I do not believe there is a single sentence that has ever been written that communicates more about reality then Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, we get further revelation of God, both of his nature and his mission. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Formless and empty is used 20 times in the Old Testament. It refers to deserts in Deuteronomy, in Job, in the Psalms. It refers to the discord that comes when God's design is abandoned in Jeremiah and, and elsewhere. Formless and empty is a, is a poetic, emotional way of saying chaos, of describing chaos. This verse is communicating that as soon as things came into existence, the earth was a, a chaotic waste. In the Spirit of God, was hovering over the surface of the waters. We begin, we begin to see a little glimpse now of, of why this creator God Elohim is plural. We have God the creator, and then it says God the spirit is hovering over these chaotic waters. These are the first whispers of the glorious doctrine known as the Trinity. We're going to talk a lot about the Trinity in the weeks to come, but we'll, we'll start somewhere easy. The, the God before time has eternally existed as part of a singular community. To, to think about that another way, God only exists in relationship. God exists, God's existence is fundamentally a relationship. That's the heart of the Trinity. He is relational in orientation revealed to us in the Trinity. And he is there, a relational God, hovering over the chaotic wasteland of his new creation, about to bring all things into order. If you want to get a clue as to the heart of God's mission, Genesis 1-2 shows you. Where there was nothing, God will bring life. Where there is chaos, God will bring order. And God's creation of order comes 
out of relationship and for the purpose of relationship. Have you begun to see the depths of these words in Genesis 1, 1 through 2? We could have done that a lot slower and gone a lot deeper. In the beginning, God. Has your mind begun racing with any of the implications of just one of those words that we've talked about? He's omnipotent. He's eternal. He's omnipresent. He is creator. Do you think you'll hear the words in the beginning the same way again? I want to show you one, one more wonder here. Um, the majesty of the scriptures as a whole. And it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And this is Greek. Why did I put it there in Greek? Because it's hard to see the connection that's happening here in English. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to you. Biblos, Genosus, Jesus Christu. Let me transliterate it for you. This is how you pronounce it. Biblos, Genesis, Jesus Christ. Does any word look familiar in there other than Jesus Christ? Anybody see a word that looks similar? Why would we talk about this now? Someone say one word. Genesis, Matthew 1, verse 1. Our English translations miss the thunderclap announcement happening here. This word, this phrase literally means the book of the beginning of Jesus Christ, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. The words chosen are very, very, very specific here. Matthew is saying, here comes the new beginning. This is the new beginning. This is the new creation in Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ, the final piece of the Trinity is a new Genesis. The scriptures begin with a vague picture of the creator God. We don't know his name. We know something of his being. He is an Elohim. We know something of what he's like. God's final revelation recorded for us in the New Testament begins with nearly the same words, except we get a name. This time God reveals himself with a name, a person who came to live with us. The name of our creator God is Jesus Christ. He is the God before time, eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. He exists in a perfect community known as the Trinity. This eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent creator God makes everything out of nothing for the purpose of relationship. And we know this beyond a shadow of a doubt because this very God came and made his home amongst us. It's nearly impossible to put the wonder of this into words, which is one of the reasons why we as the church are a singing people. From the first days of the resurrection, Christians have been singing people and the scriptures are filled with songs. One of the earliest songs Christians sang is recorded for us in the book of Colossians. It's known as the Christ hymn. I I want you to try to imagine Maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed and a little confused. Imagine being on the front end of this new Genesis, trying to put this wonder into words. Maybe you can imagine our French brothers and sisters sitting on the shore this morning, singing words to God to try to express their gratitude. Try to imagine our brothers and sisters way back in Colossae, raising their voices, trying to sing about the wonder of the Creator God coming 
giving us his name, making his home with us. This is what they sang. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ also is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is the Christ. This is our God. This is our King. Jesus Christ is the God of Genesis, the God who brings life out of nothing. We saw a picture of that this morning in one of the darkest, coldest, hardest places to the gospel. We see people getting saved because Jesus is the God who brings life out of nothing the God who brings order into chaos, the God before time who made all things by, for, and through Jesus Christ, God the Son, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And all that divine power has brought you near. He's made peace with everything in heaven and on earth, everything through his own sacrificial death on the cross. Of all of the ways this kind of God could come to a creation that rebelled against him, that denied him, that rejected him, he comes as a baby and lives his life as a sacrifice for our sin. There is only one appropriate response to this God. The one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, the almighty, there is only one invitation and one application. Worship him. Give your heart to him. Give your life to him and live a life of gratitude in response to him. Think back about the Don Redwood for a moment. Was there any part of you, as I was telling that story, that said, we should go to Bernheim? Was there any part of you that said, I want to see what a Don Redwood looks like now? How will you respond to hearing of this God and his love for you? This God in all of his wonder, in all of his power, the marvel that is hiding here for us in plain sight in Genesis 1, 1, 2. Is there even a part of you that says, I want to go see what he's like. I want to be near him. I can't believe he would draw me close and that he desires me. Every week we come now to worship by calling our minds to the great invitation we have to see him, to be with him, and to worship him by calling our minds to the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread. He thanked God for it, blessed it, and broke it. And he said to his friends, this is my body given for you. Eat this. Remember what I have done for you. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which seals your relationship with God through the shedding of my blood. Drink this as often as you eat in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.